and you saw in Pentecost, they were, everybody spoke in their own language. So, uh, does anybody know what the language, I just gave it away. <laughs> Guten Tag, mean, anybody know what that is? German, all right, good. Gave that. that was the easy one because I gave you the answer. Shalom, anyone? Hebrew, good. Uh, I got to be able to pronounce the country before I give it to you. Salve. I'm not. I'm not remember, I'm from Kentucky, so that that's not going to sound exactly right. <laughs> that's Italian for hello, by the way. Uh, hola, anybody? Okay, good. Who day? Oh, that's Cincinnati. <laughs> That's Cincinnati for hello. All right, good. If you haven't paid attention, everywhere we go, I mean, I've lived in Cincinnati for 30 years. I've, I meet a lot of people because we live on, we work on the street, but it's amazing who, how people just greet you that way. Like, that means hello. And uh, Chris and I were talking about how winning in sports has brought our community together. It's been a pretty cool thing to see how the Lord has done that. Wouldn't it be awesome if the church could do the same thing? It really, it really is the idea, I think. So we're going to look at chapter 20. This, this has nothing to do with that, but I <laughs> just encourage you. Uh, today we're looking at what leadership looks like. And I know the church is looking to develop its eldership and leadership this year. Uh, so this is a little bit of a teaching this morning from Paul to us that you might get a better idea of what we're looking for and as leaders. And those of you who are hoping to be leaders might get a better idea of what you might need to look like. And for those of us in the room hoping to grow into that leadership role, it may give you a good idea of what you need to be growing toward as well. So this is really for everybody, hopefully this morning. Uh, there's six characteristics that Paul gives in this passage. We're not going to do the whole chapter, rest of the whole chapter. We're going to slow it down. I know we're going too fast in Acts, so let's slow it down just a little bit. But what does effective leadership look like? There's a couple things you need to know on the next slide. There's three words that are going to be used here. Uh, elder, which in the Greek terms are presbyteros, which is a Jewish term for elder, <laughs> older. The second word he'll use is overseer, episkopos, which is a Greek term, episcopal. You've heard of that, right? Bishop. The third term is poimenos, which is more of a rural term for shepherd or pastor. And it's interesting that he pulls these three areas, right? Paul's a smart guy, so he, he, he uses a word that is, connects to the Jewish congregation. He uses another word that connects to the Greek group of folks that he's talking to, and he uses another word that connects to everybody. I love this guy. He understands how the kingdom of God looks. It's all of us. So these words we're going to jump back into. This is the third missionary journey of Paul he's starting. He's going back to Jerusalem. This is his last journey. He wants to go back to Jerusalem because he has such a heart for that group of people. He wants them to know Jesus. So he's heading back to Jerusalem. On his way, though, he wants to meet with the elders uh, at Ephesus. He wants to talk to them one more time about what they should be like and who they should be living like, which is what this whole uh, conversation is about. This is the only sermon or teaching that Paul gives to Christian audiences. The rest is all non-Christian or he's in front of the court system and he's defending himself. But this, what we're about ready to walk through this morning pretty quickly, is an, the only time he ever talks to a Christian audience, which I think is pretty unique. Uh, the, 
something interesting in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 42 times. It really could be the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles instead of just the acts of the apostles. The Holy Spirit is leading everything. This is really cool. You're going to see this in what we read this morning. The Holy Spirit is driving this, leading it, teaching it, taking Paul where he goes, and Paul is being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's very important that we as leaders and as a congregation understand that the Holy Spirit is in charge. When we lose that and think we're in charge, we've got a problem. So pay attention to that this morning. So this morning we are going to be talking about the attributes of effective Christian leadership. And we're going to start in verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17 and 18. From Miletus, Paul, which is where they're going to end up, Paul sent, sent to the Ephesians for the elders of the church. And they're going to meet there, which means he doesn't want to go back to Ephesus because he's going to Jerusalem and that will slow him down. So they're going to meet in Miletus and they're going to meet there. And the Ephesian elders have to walk to meet him. That's about 50 miles. So he says, you meet me there. So I don't waste time necessarily walking there because i got to get to Jerusalem. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. Effective leadership looks like, number one, if you're writing this down, if you're not, don't worry about it. We don't give you pens or ink pens, so you've got to bring those yourself. <laughs> if you're writing this down, it looks like an open life. Paul was with the church of Ephesus for three years. We know that. Paul says, you know what I live like because I was with you for three years, and we basically live life together. When you're a leader of a congregation or you're an elder or you're someone who is leading the church, people need to see your life. And when you live what we refer to at Block Ministries, when you live life together, we eat together, uh, we live in the same neighborhood together, we work together uh, we serve together. We do ministry together. You see me when I'm in my best. You see me when I'm at my worst. Uh, you see me in crisis. You see me in good times. You see me when my family's having a great week, when they're having a bad week. Uh, you see me on good hair days and bad hair days. That's what Paul is talking about. Uh, you know me. Good leaders are known by those they serve. And when you're looking for a strong leader, you need to know their life. We all look good sometimes. That doesn't matter. Who am I all the time? What happens when I'm in a crisis? Do I get angry? Do I lose it? <laughs> do I do stupid stuff? Do I say stupid things? Am I hurtful? Am I damaged? You need to know all that kind of stuff about a leader. And Paul says, you knew me when we were together for three years. And then he goes on to say in verse 2019, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. Effective leadership looks like humility. A strong leader has a humble spirit. You remember Philippians 2 where Jesus came down and basically it describes him. He humbled himself to leave heaven and become human. Paul is saying the same things. Effective leadership, if you are going to lead well, you have to lead out of humility, not out of necessarily power. When you're looking for good leaders, you want humble people. You want strong people, but you want humble people. Paul did a lot of things that nobody else would do. 
Paul took a lot of beatings in his life for the sake of the kingdom. Paul lived without. He had this theology called enough. All he had was enough. That's what he needed. He lived his life like that. The second piece of this, though, if you read that again, he says, I serve the Lord with humility and with tears, and I was severely, what was that word we read? Tested by the plots of the Jews. Now, the Jews attacked him more than once. And this testing is tough because good leaders know how to go through testing, and they expect it. And if you're not aware of that, you as a church will continue to go through testing. Now, testing knocks off the rough edges. And you may say, well, I don't have any. I'm pretty cool. I want you to look to the person to your left or right and say, do I, need, do I have any rough edges? Go ahead. <clears throat> if you're married, it's already, that conversation's already happened. All right? <laughs> the punch in the ribs going, you need to be tested. Right? <clears throat> testing comes because God makes us into who we need to be through testing. There's this old illustration I, you guys have heard. If you take a $5 piece of steel and you bang that thing into horseshoes, then it becomes worth $20. If you take that same piece of steel and you make needles out of it, sewing needles, it's now worth about $350. If you take that same $5 piece of steel and you make those really small springs that work in expensive watches, that piece is now worth $250,000. How do you get to that spring, though? Imagine the heating and the, and, the, and the cutting and the shaping and then the reheating. And you got to go through these little machines that twist you and turn you and make you into something so valuable. Same idea here. This is what God has done with Paul and what he does with us as leaders and what he does with you as believers. He tests you. He makes you into what he wants you to be. And that is sometimes very painful. All of us have gone through painful things in our life, and we think that, why is God doing this to me? And we get angry about that sometimes, but what God is doing is making us into who he wants us to be. There is a plan A for your life, not a plan B. So everything you're going through is for plan A. Not because you did something wrong or you failed or, or God doesn't like you. <laughs> God loves you and is taking you to a place where he has you ready to do plan A. There's a guy that works for me that's in his 80s. Uh, he had his own business. His father had the same business. His grandfather started the business. His sons now own the business. It's called Fry Electric on the west side. It's a great name, isn't it? Fry. <laughs> his nickname, anybody want to guess? Sparky, great. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's all true. I'm not making that up. And Dave Fry started with us, and when he sold the business almost 20 years ago, sold the business to his sons, retired, started doing ministry with Block. He, for, for almost 20 years, he's in his 80s now, almost 20 years has ran every, we have 37 buildings. He, he goes in every week to almost every building, checks electric, checks, I couldn't even give you the list. He goes through all the furnaces, does all the, my wife could help me. He does all the filters. He does, I mean, you name it, checks the restrooms, checks the paper, the toilet paper. The, I can't even tell you what he does. And about 10 years into it, his wife and he were sitting at a table, and he says, you know, I work my whole life being trained and honed by God for this purpose. I'm having more fun than I could ever have in a lifetime. 
It took me 60 years to get here. But it was still plan A. And he is one of the best leaders we have on the ground. You talk about humble. You talk about tested. <clears throat> you talk about patient. <laughs> so he has to work with me. Uh, he's, he is the living truth of what Paul is talking about here. We're going to be tested. So effective leadership is open life, humility, hardship and testing. And then we jump into verse 20 and 21 together. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything to you that wouldn't be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I want you to look at how he compares things here. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to who? Both Jews and Greeks. They're not friends. And they must, that they must turn to God in repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus. Uh, this is Paul telling the, the if Ephesus elders what he has done so that they can also live after him and have these characteristics. So let's go back to this. A Christian leader has balance. The next idea is that you have balance. So you have an open life. You know who I am. I live in humility, hardship and testing, and balance. So let's go back to that scripture. There's things that he talks about. I taught you publicly, like this right here. I preached to you. I also went house to house. What do we do house to house? We have those. Small group. Right? That's the way Christian leadership should be led. Up here, large teaching. Then we need to be on the street gathering with each other. Did I say something stupid? House group. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's why you're sitting on the front row, guys. you got to help me out. I have declared to both Jews, which is who everybody thinks is the chosen race. But guess who else he's talking to? The Greeks. Shouldn't have done that. But that's what good leadership does. Everybody is included. That they must turn to God in repentance. We don't ask for that very much, do we? And have faith in our Lord Jesus. He is a balanced teacher. He is opening up the door to everyone. And who was the person we said was leading all this in the very beginning? The Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wasn't leading that, we would not have gone to the Greeks. Can I be clear about that? Would not. If the Holy Spirit was leading us today, I would not be living in Price Hill if he wasn't leading me. And my family would tell me not to go to Price Hill. <laughs> not the one that lives with me, but the one from Kentucky. They've driven there once, and that's probably the last time they'll come there. So if you are a true, true Christian leader, you are going to have balance. So have an open life. Let me see how you live. Uh, you know that there's going to be humility because you need to be humble as a leader. You have hardships and testing. You have balance. Then Paul goes on in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, this is key. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. The hardships are facing me. That's a tough one. What he is saying to us is, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit's not telling me to go. This is where people read into this the wrong way. People going, he wasn't listening to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit tells you, you know, if you go to Cincinnati, it's not going to be easy. Well, then why should I go to Cincinnati? <laughs> God doesn't want us not to go to some place that's not easy, correct? Or comfortable? I'm his favorite child. I'm a pretty good guy. Why would he send me someplace that's not comfortable? 
What are you laughing about? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're, you're right to laugh. I'm sorry. Because yeah. I'm not his favorite. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> you are. Okay, good. <laughs> are you in a comfortable place? Probably not. <laughs> Maybe. I'm knowing what's happening. He's just saying, there's going to be tough times ahead of you, but I just want you to know that. But I'm going to send you there anyway. There's a difference in a warning not to go, and there's just a difference that when you do go, it's going to look like this, right? So I'm going to Jerusalem. He loves Jerusalem. He, is, he weeps over Jerusalem because they do not know the Lord Jesus. He also is taking an offering. We got that back earlier in, in Acts. He took up an offering for the people there, so he's taking money to them. But the bigger deal is he wants them to know Jesus, and he knows this is his last journey, and he's going to give it his last shot. But he goes there, and he is sensitive. The next phrase I need you to understand, he is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. A strong leader of our congregation needs to be sensitive to the words of the Holy Spirit. You need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. There's no doubt about it. It is a good leader who is in tune to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. So be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Yes, he is telling you it's going to be hardship, but he's also not telling you not to go. And that's important to understand. When we were in Knoxville, Tennessee, before we moved to Cincinnati almost 30 years ago, we were in youth ministry there in South Knoxville. It was one of the best ministries I've ever been in in my life. I loved it. Had <clears throat> The largest youth group that you can imagine um, my family lived in Knoxville. They moved from Kentucky to Knoxville, so my mom was there. My sister lived there. We had a great team around us. Um, went to Bible college there, so all those people I knew. I'm sitting in my office one day uh, enjoying all this. <laughs> and I said to myself, you know, I could live here the rest of my life. I could. I said that phrase. I said, this is so comfortable. I could live here the rest of my life. And what I know now is you should never say that. <laughs> Uh, within a year, the elders who were strong leaders invited me to find another place to serve. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. I was encouraged to go elsewhere. Uh, not a spiritual issue, just I was in my 20s and thought I had it figured out and realized by good Christian leadership I had not quite had it figured out yet. <laughs> Uh, and we ended up moving to Cincinnati. Now think about this. As I thought about this sermon, I think this was all the Holy Spirit. We had thought about starting block ministries in Knoxville. We were going to do it there. We were ready to go. But I got a little hurried on the way out of town uh, to try to find a, another ministry. So we were hired by a church on the west side of Cincinnati to do youth ministry. And about three, three years later, started block ministries in Cincinnati. That's not plan B, right? That's plan A. I felt like it was plan B, C, or D because I thought all things were going to happen in Knoxville. But what I wasn't doing was being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I was being very sensitive to my comfort. And that was a mistake. And what God did was say, yeah, that's, that's really nice. I'm glad you've enjoyed that moment here. <laughs> but now we're moving on to a place where the Holy Spirit basically said, this is not going to be fun. And there's going to be a lot of trials and tribulations for you when you get to Cincinnati. And there were. But that's where I want you to go. And so we went. And I'd be honest with you, I told my wife, I'm going, but I don't want to go. I'm only going to live there less than five years because I don't like bigger cities. And that's what we're going to do. And guess what? 30 years later, <laughs> if 
plan A is still happening and God's still doing things, I've learned to shut up a little bit and quit talking and be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Not that I'm there yet, believe me. Good leaders listen to the Holy Spirit and then move, and God does plan A through that. <clears throat> so it was a tough time for him, and it was difficult. But in verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, a task of testifying to the gospel and God's grace. This lends itself to the next piece, which is that he was very determined. Uh, he was going to go to Jerusalem. Everybody told him around him not to go. Most of the people around him said, if you go there, you're going to be arrested. If you go there, things are going to go backwards. Don't go. So most of his team were saying, not a good idea. Holy Spirit's going, it's going to be rough, but I'm not, I want you to go. So he goes. He is determined to get there because he loves them so much and wants to teach them of Christ. And let's go back to that scripture one more time. That first phrase, I consider my life what? That's important. Important. He knew he wasn't going to probably live through this process. He's, he knows what the Holy Spirit's saying. He's, he's not stupid. He knows if he goes back, this may be it. And we know that in a few years from there, he was, I mean, he was in jail a couple more years here. And we know that at the end of his life later, it wasn't pretty. But he did not see his value of life more important than going and teaching the gospel to those in Jerusalem. That's what a strong Christian leader sees. I know people, and you know people, who've been on the field and have had guns in their face, have lost family, have been hurt, have been attacked, have been shot, you name it, because they have said to themselves, I consider my life worth nothing if I can share the gospel of Christ with that people group. Now, you think most of that might be overseas, but that is not true. This neighborhood could teach you that. <laughs> Where I live has taught us that. There are guns in your face on occasion. There's death around you everywhere. The devil is very hard at work. Let's not fool ourselves to say that where we live right now and where this church is planted will not face those kinds of conflict. But we have to come at it in this humble way, which we said from the very beginning, I consider my life worth nothing to me. That's a strong leader for you. And as believers, that's who we need to grow into be. Because the Holy Spirit will be honest and say, that's not going to be fun. But it's right. And it's where I want you to be. And those people need to know me. Go tell them. That's what strong leadership does. So verse 24 gives us that picture. Verse 25 through 27 moves us into this. Now I know that none of you among who I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. So he's talking to the leaders of Ephesus. This is it. He knows. So here we go. Don't think that this is a happy farewell. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Now, that last phrase is important. And it adds on to what he just has been talking about, about being determined. He is determined to teach the whole word of God. Now, he doesn't have the New Testament yet. He's writing it, okay? But we have that. There are churches, uh, several, that just teach from Genesis to Revelation. 
Imagine how long that would take by the pace that we're doing. <laughs> Most of you won't be here when we're done. You know, I won't be. Here. Uh, the church that I know, it's 10 years. It's a 10-year walkthrough from Genesis to Revelation. They start at the beginning and walk the church through it. But what they have learned is because they've given the whole will of God, they've taught the whole counsel of God here. They've taught the word of God. Is that people in the congregation, because of that leadership, are growing and changing at a much rapid, more rapid pace than when you probably teach um, pieces here or there. Paul was very straightforward about that. And I'm not saying we do it right or we do it wrong or they do it right, whatever. But this is what Paul was saying, so I'm just going to go there. I proclaim to you the whole will of God. Some of us says the whole counsel of God. What that means is the whole word of God. What God has given us from Genesis now to Revelation, then he had, he had a few books of the Old Testament, which he taught all of that. He was teaching everything that Jesus had given them. And he says, that's what I'm going to give you. You can't hold me accountable because I've done that. Blood's not on my hands. I've given you the truth. What you do with the truth is up to you. So that's what he's teaching us as leaders. Give the whole truth of God. Some people don't like Leviticus. I get that. It's a tough book. Some people don't like Deuteronomy. It's hard to spell. I get it. But some of us, you know, we don't do that because it's just, it's boring, maybe. I don't know. But when you get into it, it's really not that boring. Am I screwing you up back there? Okay, good. So the high ideal here is to be determined one to follow the will of God, even though it is hard, and be determined to teach to people that no one else wants to go to, and be determined to teach the word fully. Don't pick and choose what you want to give me. Make sense? To me, that's not the whole word of God. That's what you want to give me, and the rest of it you don't worry about because you don't like it. There's things in there I don't like. I didn't get asked by God whether that was okay whether I liked it or not he doesn't care about that it's what's best for us the last passage is 28 through 31 keep watch over yourselves and all the flocks he's talking to the elders again which the Holy Spirit has made you remember the first word we talked about at the very beginning overseers be the next word shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood now this to be very clear about this this is not my church. It's not Chris's church. This church belongs to who? His blood, not mine, right? Nothing of my blood saves you. It's only the blood of Jesus. And this is what he's very clear about. This church belongs to Christ. You are his. It is his blood that has made you clean. We just are blessed to be a part of it. That's the cool thing is the family of God. He's making that very clear. I know that after I leave, this is important, savage wolves will come in, listen to what he says, among you and will not spare the flock, even from where? This is hurtful. From your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. And he is warning these elders, this is the last piece, you have to protect. Your job is to protect the flock at any cost. Which means, as leaders, you will have to say things that hurt people's feelings. Because it's not the whole counsel of God. There's enough in our congregations today that's just twisted enough. Because it fits us better 
than what God actually says, and we teach that. That's a dangerous thing to do, and good leaders step into that and go, wait, that's not the truth. I love you. I'll be graceful with you, but that is not God's truth. We need to discuss that, and we need to stop that. Churches don't do that very well in their leadership today because we're afraid to offend someone. I'm speaking out of my age now, so if I offend you, I'm sorry. But let me just, I'm just going to stay with the scripture. It's not my opinion. I'm going to give you the scripture. Believe me, I'm trying to keep my opinion completely out of this. You are a protector if you are a leader. I love this right here. This, I love, I'm, I'm a stained glass guy, but this piece right here depicts Christ as the good shepherd. Psalm 23, we know this passage. Uh, goes, I'm, I'm taking some pieces from it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I'm going to jump over this out. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. Now, we only see Jesus with a staff most of the time because that's the sweet, kind shepherd part. But the rod part is just as important as a staff. Staff pulls us back in. Staff guides us. It moves us around. But, you know, the rod was also carried by the shepherd, and that was a stick about that long usually. And it had usually metal shards in it to where he could beat off the wolves. His job was to protect the sheep as well as guide the sheep, and the rod was the protection piece. I'm assuming Jesus swung the rod just as well as he held the staff. As good leaders, we are called to lead the sheep, guard the sheep, protect the sheep. That means we use the rod and the staff. But it's not to hurt you. What's the last phrase say? They comfort me. I love that. Your rod doesn't hurt me. It protects me. It comforts me that you are carrying the rod and protecting me. And as church leaders, we should understand that's our role. We should comfort our folks by them knowing we're going to protect them. Nothing will be taught or done here that hurts you. We will step in the middle of that. We promise you that. That should comfort us as believers. That shouldn't offend us. That shouldn't scare us. That should make me weary. It should make me honor you as a leader. <clears throat> Dwight L. Moody was a pretty cool guy. I was not named after him, by the way. Uh, I don't think my parents knew he existed. In the 1840s, 50s, and 60s, he was in uh, ministry. He started with a YMCA. He actually worked in the inner city doing Sunday school for the YMCA. I think it was up in Chicago. It grew so large with so many kids that he ran out of room in the Y. He ended up a few years later starting his own congregation. You've heard of Moody Institute? He started those. They still exist. Uh, he was a biblical preaching guy. It was said that he was the only preacher of the times that could preach about hell because there was always a tear in his eye because he loved people so much. That's what leaders should look like. I have to tell you the truth. I have to be honest with you, but there's always a tear in my eye because I love you that much. Spurgeon says this. This is the last thing I've got for you today, and then the band can come up. I just want to encourage you with this. I'm going to read this to you. Actually, this is a Martin Luther quote. And it talks about being the shepherd. So stay with me. If I profess with loudest voice 
and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking. You hear what I'm saying? If I, if I preach everything truth except that thing that the devil's twisting in our congregation at that moment, then I'm not confessing Christ however boldly I might be professing Christ. I'm too afraid to do that. And this is the phrase, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is shown. And this is the last part that he says, a preacher or a pastor or an elder must be both soldier and shepherd. He must nourish, defend, and teach. He must have truth in his mouth, and he has teeth in his mouth that he might bite and fight. That's a good way to describe a leader of our congregation. So for those of us who are trying to lead, whoever you may be, for those of you who are trying to grow into leadership, may these characteristics encourage you by Paul as he teaches us in Scripture how we should look. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word that teaches us the truth. May it convict us. May it challenge us. May it mold us and make us into who you want us to be. 